if you, if you stay in a market long enough and you're willing to iterate, you're willing to listen to the market and change your product based on what you hear, you'll be successful. This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalifi. Now, we've been really lucky here in Utah to just, I mean, through the whole thing, it's been relatively minor. Um, you know, we, we, we're, we're relatively spaced out to here. You know, Utah's got a lot of room and, you know, everyone's got an acre. A lot of people do. And so um, it's not you know, like you're packed in like Chicago or New York or, you know, some of those places where, you know, it's, it's, it's a little, it's a little tougher, but, but we've been, we've been like uh, potentially doing kind of like a week, long weekend trip to Utah, you know, doing maybe a hike or two. And one of them said yeah. from all the places he's visited in the U.S., Utah was by far the nicest. No joke. Yeah, if you're if you want to go high, if you want to spend time outdoors, man, I, you 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 could spend a hundred long weekends in Utah and not see it all. But but yeah, if you're going to come down for just one thing, head down to Zion National Park and yeah. go do Angels Landing or something crazy like that. I mean, there's just unbelievable things down here. So. I was going to ask you what you'd recommend. So thanks for those. Those are the yeah. two that you would say in like a three. Yeah. Years. So Zion National Park is just like a big place. It's one of the most visited. It's second or third most visited national park in the U.S. and kind of their most famous hike is called angels landing but you have to have a you know kind of a rock solid stomach you're gonna two thousand foot drops right next to you oh, you nice. gotta you gotta deal with that but nice. don't don't let go of the of the chain nice. i'll definitely keep that in mind man you're you're scaring me as as you're describing this i'm like that i gotta i gotta practice john um that's pretty and you've been in utah the, the whole time is that where you've, you've always been yeah i mean i'm from houston originally actually um, born and raised there, moved here, uh, when I was about 15 years old and, uh, and, and kind of been here on and off since then. I mean, I served a couple, couple years over in Taiwan for a mission yeah. and did that, but, um, but yeah, I'm, this is, this is how I'm ended up at BYU and started my company kind of right, right out of there. So, yeah, but, I mean, before we get to the entrepreneurial side and appreciate that segue, I was going to ask like, wh where did that, cause I saw that on when I was, you know, obviously researching your profile and. One of the things that, yeah. that caught my attention was the, the missionary work you were doing in Taiwan, a couple of years there. What was what was the, you know, maybe the the, the preface of, of that happening, and also just the experience. I'd love to dig into that a bit. Yeah, I mean, Taiwan is an incredible country. The people there are are amazing. You know, most people when they say they like Chinese food, they actually mean they like Taiwanese food. Um, that's that's really where the good stuff comes from. Like Panda Express, I know Panda is not like great, right? But your standard like fried rice and meats and different things like that. It's more of kind of a Taiwanese flavor than anything else. But, um, but anyway, I, uh, yeah, served it for, for my church, grew up a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and I'm an active member still and, uh, and spent two years over in Taiwan. And it's very, it's, it's very typical of a, of a young man, um, in, in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to decide to, to serve a mission. And they're for, there for two years. We don't choose where we go. We just fill out an application and, you know, Hey, here, do a, do a physical and kind of send in a couple things. And what languages do we speak and all this? And I actually was fluent in Spanish. Um, and so I thought I was going to get called to, you know, Mexico or Argentina or something. And, um, when I was growing up, my dad was a mission president. Um, and, and none of this is paid, right. You pay your own way. My dad, when he was a mission president, completely volunteer, but he was asked by the church to go down for three years to Paraguay and supervise about 180 missionaries, uh, down there during that time. And so our whole family, me and my four sisters and my mom, we all went down there. And, um, and so I learned Spanish and I was down there. It was great. And then, um, and then when I turned 19, putting my papers and thought for sure, I was like, Oh, it'll be cool if I go back to Paraguay and whatever. Anyway, and then Kaohsiung, Taiwan. I didn't even know how to say it. Anyway, I went to Taiwan. I opened my mission call and 
went down there and, and really, you know, you know, the day-to-day life there is every day you're up at six 30 and you get ready and you do some studying of the language because you, you, you know, you got to speak Chinese and you got to learn that and, and do some, some gospel study. You always have a companion that you're with, go out and spend time proselyting, knocking doors and sharing the gospel over there and, and doing lots and lots of service projects, lots of ways to just go serve the people for two years. It's pretty selfless. You pay, um, it's about $500 a month. Um, and, and then the church kind of helps make sure you have an apartment places to live and things like that. And so, you know, it's all paying your own way and we go out there and, and make it happen. So unbelievable experience, you know, came wow. back and, and then, and then I actually chose an easy major in college, which was Chinese because I already spoke it and, uh, and graduated in that and, and, and then did some business as well in, at BYU. So. Yeah. You had like a head start. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, I mean, I know, I know I say like Chinese major, that was easy for, for, for someone who hasn't lived in China, that might not be the case, but I mean, I had lived in Taiwan for two years and I was speaking it on the street every day. So piece of cake. So anyway, did you find that there was resonance when you were, um, sort of evangelizing the message basically in mm-hmm. a place where, and this might be oblivious on my part, but I'm assuming, yeah. uh, that probably a percentage of the population would be communist. Um, was there resonance in the message? Like, how was that? Just quickly curious on that. It's very well received over there. You know, Taiwan and China are really quite different. Um, when you go over to China, uh, there's a lot more of the communism. Taiwan's a free country, right? Um, but but Taiwan did come out of kind of some Japanese control and things like that. So some of the older people were, you know, a little, I don't know, call it less trusting a little bit. But the, the younger generation would, would, you know, was very open, willing to talk and learn and very active. They've come to church and do great things. And, and, uh, and the church is growing very fast out there, but, um, but yeah, China is very, like you would talk to people in China that don't, that don't even know who Jesus Christ is. And that's, that's wow. interesting, right? I mean, whether you're Christian or not, probably the most kind of know yeah. who, who Jesus Christ is you're like, Oh yeah, that's who Christians believe in. Right. I mean, just the same way I, I know who, who Gandhi is, or I know who Buddha is or whoever, right. And so everybody has their kind of beliefs support, but, but, but China is very like, hey, this is it. Like, don't there's no proselyting anything out in China. But in Taiwan, people knew who Jesus Christ was for the most part, and they they were very accepting of him. And there's a lot of a lot of Christian churches out there, and 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 uh, and growing. I would say growing very quickly still at this point. And I think this would be a good kind of entry to to the entrepreneurship side. But one thing I did want to ask as well on this is, you know, part of what you're doing. I know it's for a different context, but if you look at at kind of the, the core, right? There is a bit of a, um, not not so much persuading, but like you're you're basically exploring uh, a new idea. You're exploring a new ideology. You're explaining it maybe to someone who's never heard of it. In the context of entrepreneurship, that's no different than maybe a cold call, right? I know it's. I I don't mean to you know. No, it's totally the same. You're right. I'm evangelizing a new thing. I mean, when I'm talking about augmented reality or anybody who has a startup with some new idea that people aren't doing today. It's the same process. You're knocking down doors and sometimes they answer, sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't, and sometimes they yell at you and whatever, but they, uh, y- you do have to, you know, help somebody see the world in a different way. And, and that's, and, and that's the entrepreneurs that can do that, you know, exceed, succeed, you know, you've got the Mark Zuckerbergs who, you know, completely change the people view, people view the world and how they can access the world and how they can see what's happening in the world. And, you know, people like Elon Musk, you know, changing things the way they're changing things. And, and, and they're just really good at getting people to see things in a different way, in a new way. And that's, and it, and that's exciting. How do you do that? Like in, in, in what you've learned from maybe preaching the gospel, let's say in a place like Taiwan, when you take that back to your own startup, which we'll get to in a second, 
what are some of the lessons learned there that you you take with you? The first thing that just jumps into mind as you, as you say that is the the commonality is service. Mm. You have to help other people. If you're not helping other people, your message will fail. Straight up, right? Um, like now I could give some good counter arguments to that. You can, there's a lot of bad stuff out there in the world and those bad industries make a lot of money. Um, but money isn't necessarily the right measure of success. But if you want to really influence and change somebody's life, you've got to bring something to them that makes a difference, that makes an impact with Christianity or with spreading the gospel, you know, the church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints, um, which I don't need to go into detail on this call, but the, the, the purpose of that is to persuade people to come unto Christ, right? And that's going to change who they are, right? Christ was a perfect man, according to my beliefs. And he, he, he lived in a way that was selfless and that served other people. And that, um, was incredibly not self-serving, right? His only goal was to help other people um, become better and to treat other people better and to help them return to live with God, right? So that's the, the, the Christian religious side of things of serving people. And so as you, as you convince somebody and teach somebody about these ways to, to, to live your life and follow the commandments and things like that, yeah, it's going to impact them big time. On my side of things now with augmented reality and 3D and XR and all these things, you know, I'm talking to, we're, we're kind of ushering in a new, a new layer of the internet, a new layer of life really. Right. Because, you know, you've got the internet came along with text first and then pictures and then video. And now we're to this 3d and this XR and AR VR, everything. And, and it's going to change the way we live. Like, I don't think people realize that in, in a few years, uh, everyone's going to be wearing augmented reality glasses. And, you know, I'm going to walk in the room and I'm like, who's that guy? You know, that's George, right? Because my glasses are going to tell me, right? And, you know, and, and, you know, I'll be able to have instructions, tell me where to go. And I'll be, I'll be moving things and, and literally typing with my mind. And those types of, you know, new technologies that are going to be powered by, by all of this kind of emerging tech um, is changing people's lives. And, and from a business perspective, um, if I get on the phone with, with the, uh, you know, Lowe's, right? And I say, hey, buy our buy my product, pay me twenty thousand dollars a month, pay me two hundred thousand dollars a month, whatever. I have to be able to show them how I'm going to positively impact their life, their business, their bottom line, and get a real ROI um, that makes a difference out of it. Or I have no business asking for that money. When was your your sort of entry towards AR and VR? Was it what when you were at Chegg, as an example, which I think a lot of people on the call probably would know, but it's it's uh, the leading student-first connected learning platform. Uh, it's publicly held out of California, but you had a role, that, a pretty senior senior role there. And just curious, like when was that first interaction with AR? You know, I don't think we ever talked about AR at Chegg, um, which was which is interesting. As I think back on it, I there's it was a little early probably for the technology. The technology is kind of just getting to the point where Chegg might actually be interested in it. But um, and I and I should reach out to my buddies over there. That's a good a good reminder. But um, but AR was interesting. So I, I I was in this education tech space with Chegg, and then I I kind of used that as, as kind of, you know, training grounds to go become a vice president of a startup um, that was also in the ed education tech space called English three. And it was language. It was a language company, a language 
SaaS company basically. And because I spoke a few languages and I was, anyway, I, it was a good fit and, and I kind of had some good experience to help bring that into the college landscape, which is, which is kind of where the Chegg connections came in. But after about six or seven years in that education space, I kind of was a little bit tired of things taking so long to, to change, right? I was trying to convince, have you ever tried to convince Harvard to do something differently and tell them that they're wrong? Like <laughs> it doesn't go over very well. Um, anyway, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's a two-year process to get some of these deals done and, you know, to, to get them to change and adapt to new ways of thinking. And, and they're like, oh yeah, that's great. And you're talking to them in September. They're like, well, we're already set for this year, but maybe we can talk next year and start the process. And then we can implement it the year after that. Anyway, so I finally was like, all right, I need to do something on my own. And I'd made some decent money doing these other things. And, and I said, all right, I'm going to start a, I'm going to start a business. And I, and I actually went in and I started, uh, I want to do something fun. I'm a big outdoors person. I love whitewater kayaking is my, is my number one thing. Um, mountain biking and everything, all the stuff you can do in Utah. It's great. Um, which is why I love being from Texas, love Houston, but Utah's uh, people always ask me when I move back to Houston, probably not. I mean, I, I could be convinced maybe under the right circumstances, but I just love the outdoors here in Utah. So anyway, I can talk about that all day. So um, I decided to start something fun and and it was kind of a, a New Year's resolution thing. I was still working for the company English 3 and I was like, all right, I'm starting my new thing. Let's do this. And I, on New Year's Day, 2016, filed an LLC and it was called Treasure Canyon. And my idea was to run a company similar to, you know, they have these like tough mutters and color runs and kind of these kind of themed events and runs and things. And we said, let's do a treasure hunt, right? Where we put on a treasure hunt and then people can pay 30, 40, 50 bucks and come and participate, get access to the clues and then go find the treasure. But there would actually be real treasure at the end. And it was kind of a race. Whoever solves the clues first and finds it keeps the treasure, right? Pretty fun idea. So we started this and we ran about 10 events during 2016. And during 2016 is when Pokemon Go came out. And we had already kind of been down the pathway of, Hey, we should turn this into an app, right? Then we can then we can run treasure hunts all over the world, all over the country, and do it different places. And because we were we were actually just talking about it during Cinco de Mayo today, we had we had taco tacos for lunch as a company, and my co-founder and I were sitting down. We were talking about about our our big our big you know event that we did and uh, taking treasure you know ten k six miles up into the mountains um, and like carrying a treasure chest of $10,000 and all this stuff. It's very, very tiring, not really scalable, right. From an entrepreneurial perspective, not very scalable. And so we wanted to do something bigger. So we had this app idea, Pokemon go came out and I tried it. And I just, I saw Pokemon sitting in front of me in the real world. And I was like, it's, it's there. Like, this is amazing. That was my first real exposure to augmented reality. Right? Right? Yeah. Like, not, not through like an Oculus or something. Exactly. You know, heavy yeah. Yeah, it was through my it was through my phone. I was just holding it and boom, there's a Pokemon. I said, that is cool. We need to be able to hunt for treasure in augmented reality. I was like, I want people to be able to pull up their phone, they find the treasure, and there it is. It's actually sitting there, right? So it's not just showing up to some GPS location like geocaching or whatever, um, and and getting you know some points or something. But hey, you find a treasure chest, you tap on it, it opens up, or you unlock it, and then you win real prizes. So we launched an app called Seek, right? Where you would go out seeking for for a treasure, right? And uh, of course, you hear the religious overtone in there, seeking you shall find, right? Um, but but we, we came up with this app and it was location-based. So it's just like Pokemon Go, but instead of finding Pokemon, you were finding treasure chests. Inside the treasure chests would be prizes from, from companies or, or you know, deals or, like or maybe just discounts. Exactly, exactly. You would get... Hey, That's buy one cool. free at Pizza Hut or, you know, we, we did deals. And then, so, so we started this company 
and we we went and we landed some big customers pretty quickly and then all of a sudden we landed universal pictures and i was like okay well now we've got a real company and that's a big real customer right um, we were landing a bunch of local stuff around here i mean good good companies but but that was the first like national thing and then two months after that we met samsung at a at a conference and and i remember to this day the call with with the with the lady kimberly over there she was so awesome but um we, we talked about some ideas. She said, Hey, we want to do some stuff at six flags, you know, with Samsung and give away a bunch of prizes and augmented reality, kind of our own Pokemon go. I was like, this is perfect. We can do it. She's like, okay, how much will it cost? And I was like, I don't know, maybe like a hundred, 150,000. She's like, how about 200,000? I was like, done. <laughs> Let's do it. She was so awesome. Right. And so she just, she's like, here's, here's the budget, go make something awesome happen. And, and she sent us a huge palette of prizes from Samsung S8 phones and all kinds of cool things. And, Anyway, so we were off to the races. We had this company called Seek. And, um, and so, but we were an app, right? Now, as Pokemon Go died down, we, uh, interest from companies kind of said, all right, well, what, what's next in augmented reality? Seems like this Pokemon thing isn't really going to stick around. And, and whether or not they were right is, is, is another discussion. Um, obviously, Pokemon, I think Pokemon Go made $2 billion in 2020. So um, <laughs> they're doing fine. But um, long story short, they, they wanted to do the next thing. And so we went on a retreat as a company and we said, okay, um, what, what else can we do besides this location-based Pokemon Go with prizes type thing? Seek, seek rewards is what it was called. And um, we, came, we, we had these brands that wanted to do cool augmented reality experiences that were more like evergreen content, not like YouTube, right? But for AR, right? They wanted, okay. they wanted a place where their content could just go and live forever instead of just being this, you know, ephemeral, you know, Snapchat campaign that's here one day and gone the next. And, and so, and so we said, well, let's start the YouTube of AR. That's a big idea. And everyone was just pumped about it. We're going to launch this new product. And we did, we built this new thing and we said, you'll be able to go to these locations. And then some locations will have really crazy experiences. And then you'll be able to like browse the content. So we built this mega app that had kind of the Pokemon Go thing and the YouTube of AR type thing. And, you know, Samsung would have their brand page and Six Flags would have their brand page. And Universal Pictures would have their brand page, just like you have a YouTube channel, right? And so we, we, went, we went about doing this and realized after probably about three months, four months with the app being live, it was way too complicated. The app was too many things, right? And so we said, okay, let's split this back up. So we split Seek Rewards back out into its own thing. And then launched SeekXR as a as a standalone app as the as the YouTube of AR. And after probably another about six or seven months, eight months of that, we we had about three big kind of VCs and groups that said, "Hey, we want to we want to back you." And we're raising, I think, six million dollars at the time. And um, we, for different reasons, all the stars aligned against us, or maybe for us, if you if you look at it from a different angle everyone fell out. Mm. And we got to where we had a few thousand dollars in the bank account and we had a $200,000 payroll. I mean, you know, we, we were a full-on company at that time. We had 30 employees, office space and all this. Anyway, we had, we had expenses that we couldn't cover, right? So we kind of hit an existential crisis and we said, okay, well, maybe we're too early on the, on the YouTube for AR, right? And absolutely, in hindsight, totally, totally too early. And we, we were having to educate too many people about what is AR? What, how do you do this? I don't really understand. 
really cool experience. So many cool things and really a fun business, but we knew we had to come up with a different way to survive. And so we, um, we all sat down and, and again said, all right, what do we do? How do we, how do we survive this? And my CTO came to me, a guy by the name of Thane Brimhall. And he said, Hey, look, John, I think we can, I think we've got the technology to the point where we can start deploying this content to the web. Why don't we go to e-commerce companies and help put augmented reality on their websites so that people, when they're shopping can see what the products look like. And, and I said, no way that's boring. That's a business. We're, we're YouTube, we're Pokemon go. Right. And, uh, and I said, no, that's just not, that's just not the right thing anyway. So, um, after, after about a day, I was, I was convinced I started, I had done some research and I looked like Ikea had launched some things and a couple of companies had launched their own things inside of their apps, um, where people could do it. And the, and the results were ridiculous. It was 200, 300, 400% increase in, in sales when augmented reality is used and just incredible impact to the, to the thing. I was like, okay, that's something I can sell. I can sell that all day long, but we had no money left. So I had to go and beg my investors. We managed to keep six people on the team out of the 30 we had. Um, two of them without pay, wow. four of us, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're able to do it. But two of, two of them said, Hey, I'm willing to keep working. Let's just, let's just make this happen. And we got $15,000 a month for four months to prove it. So I, I, after having raised a couple million, two and a half million dollars and done a million and a half dollars in sales and all that, we had all these millions and millions and this was great and fun. And, you know, we've got a nice startup that's coming out of the way. We had 60 grand to prove this new business model. So um, I was like, all right, Thane, go to work. Give me something that I can demo. If you can give me a demo, I can sell it to somebody. And so he, he went and did it within about two months. We had something working. And then I just happened to jump on. I was like, I wonder if there's any e-commerce conferences. And I just Googled it. And there was one like six weeks from then. And it was going to be $15,000 for us to go to that conference. And that was all the money we had left. We couldn't see any other way to make this happen, right? I mean, it was it's it's hard to just cold call companies, but when you can get in a conference where you have tons of people there, you can just see if it's gonna land. And so we're like, look, it's this is do or die. We either go there and people want this or we're out of money either way, right? So let's just go for it. So we went there and uh, we landed, um, or we, we came back from the conference about 45 leads and we landed about 15 of them, right? And so wow. that represented hundreds of thousands of dollars of contracts. And, uh, and we were off to the races. We said, okay, great. Web-based AR, this is awesome. And so then from since then until now, we have just evolved and become a, an incredibly more integrated product. And now we, now we serve, uh, you know, major brands all over the world and we handle the creation management and distribution of 3d content across virtually any platform. And we have amazing, you know, patents and all kinds of cool, cool things that, you know, give us a, a really amazing leadership position in the market. And, uh, and things are, things are going really well now, but it's been, it's been quite a journey and, 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 and it's amazing. And, and even, even after we figured it out, it didn't, it didn't mean the, the journey was over. I mean, I, I can, I, the other day I, I talked to my, I was talking to my co-founder. I was like, how many times since 2016, when we started this, have we been less than two weeks away from being out of money? <laughs> And, you know, over the last five or six years, it's probably been 20 payrolls, probably. And so you just have to be like, all right, we got to collect on that bill, or we got to talk to that investor and get him to throw in that 50 grand or whatever it is. And it's, you know, we're to a How point. How do you hunker down when that happens? Like, do you, almost that reminds me, I'm a big UFC fan. And, and to me, that reminds me of, um, like, you know, when you, when you're getting punched a lot, uh, typically you're here, your coach and, and like, 
the side of the octagon just say like john bite down on your mouth guard and just like give it you know yeah mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of that metaphor where you're just like dude we, we don't have we don't have a choice anymore you know we're getting that investor right yeah yeah you know um i am a religious person and i do believe in the power of prayer and i also believe that that prayer is worthless without insanely hard work right coupled with it um, you know, we have to do our part, but, but a lot of that has gone into it. Um, a, a lot of just insanely hard work and yeah, you have to just, and, and you have to, you have to go and sit in front of that investor and confidently say, Hey, I'm not going to just take your 50 grand or your hundred grand or your 250 grand or your million dollars and, and just throw it away and, you know, be back here in two months asking for more. Exactly. You know, sometimes that's what happens, but you have to be confident enough, um, maybe to the point of, you know, not being quite right in the head um, with some, you know, I think entrepreneurs have to have to believe it to a point that that maybe is a little bit beyond reality or believe it so much that they can just make it come true. Um, because if you believe something enough, you're willing to you're willing to do it. It's 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 like you just said, it's the you're, you're backed into a corner. You have to fight. You have to bite down. You have to make it happen to bring it to to what I'm saying or what, what, I, what I'm up to do in my world is, you know, the whitewater kayaking. If I'm in a big rapid. And I'm in a class five rapid and there's boulders and, and sieves and undercuts and all kinds of just crazy stuff. And there's this big hole and a waterfall that I need to avoid or whatever. Right. If I do it wrong, you know, I'm, I'm done. Right. And, and so you have to just be ultra focused. And sometimes you do get into trouble when you're in a kayak and you can give up and die <laughs> or potentially, or, or potentially just get hurt or just have an unpleasant swim. Or you could say, all right, I'm going to think through this and I'm going to figure it out. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there, there's also a, a big thing to say for, um, for co-founders, right. Yeah. Um, there, there's research on that, right? Like the, I think there's like 60, 70% of startups. If you, who are successful, typically have more than one founder. Yeah. Like you never see a sole founder. It's very rare. Certainly. Yeah, yeah. But you need someone, man, in the trenches, right? Just to share that pain with, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just got to be able to talk to someone, right? Um, there was a there was a point where I was I was talking to a therapist twice a week, right? I and, and that was that was in Important. 2018 when we almost when we ran out of money and we had to fire everybody and, and you know uh, that that those people meant a lot to me, right? I felt responsible for. Oh man, I have to tell all these people, hey you know, you got to go home and tell your, tell your wife, you don't have a job anymore. Your husband, you don't have a job anymore. And your kids, I got to go figure out what I'm going to do next. And ultimately it's not my responsibility completely for them, but I really feel that I feel like, Oh my goodness, I, you're responsible for it. I'm responsible for these people and their lives. And it's my duty to, to step up. And not only that, I think just as, as important uh, to me, at least is the investors, right? I've got people that are trusting me with some, now some people are giving me a million dollars and they've got a hundred million. And so they're fine. If it goes away, they understood the risk when they invested and, you know, but other people like e- even then, like, I just, I can't have somebody give me a million dollars and and not go to do anything for them. Right. And so it was, I think my, um, and maybe I learned this on my mission. Maybe I don't know what it is, but, but just my desire to serve those who I've been kind of entrusted to serve. Employees, it's kind of hard though. Right. Cause I mean, to, to divorce that that uh how am i going to say it like that that strong emotion right but at the same time not be so um simple-headed like let me give you a quick example you talk about river rafting uh or kayaking as an example mm-hmm. my, my my a good buddy of mine actually who went to school with me uh, does it as well and he's he's become quite a i don't know if a, like a professional level i'm not i'm not too into the sport 
Sure. But anyways, at one point he posted a picture and he had his finger cut off. I get it. I guess it like jammed a rock, whatever. So to your point, there are there are some there, there are some challenges there too, right? There's a lot of uh, issues that can go wrong. So it's like a balance of knowing the risks, not being like completely, you know, nothing's going to happen to me when you're in that situation. But at the same time, not give in so much because you literally can just like drown and die, basically. Mm-hmm. So you're always trying to balance that that pendulum almost. And it's the same with entrepreneurship, right? Because yeah. on one side, you have the burnout. You're talking about a therapist, super important. But at the same time, you can't let that go too much into your head because then you you take everything on yourself and you you can't like operate the business anymore. You can't think about what's next. You're always like living in, you know, and having to deal with, with these strong emotions, the, 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 the downs, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really, it's really, really tough being a, a CEO, a founder of a, of a startup, because even though I do have a, a founder, right, a co-founder and, and other members of the team, and they're all, they're all amazing, but ultimately they're not really going to go after my co-founder in the same way, right? I'm, I'm the one at fault, right? It's my responsibility. And, uh, it's kind of like, and, and the best, I, I found that that's the best way to do it as a, as a leader is, you know, when we're successful, it's the team Spread. When something goes wrong. It's, it's me. What can I, what can I do different? I've obviously put the wrong people in the wrong places, or I've used the money improperly, or I've done something, I've made decisions along the way. So I really have viewed it that way, that it's, that it's my responsibility and, uh, and taking it very seriously. And then of course, you know, besides the therapists and the co-founders and all that. I mean, my, my wife is amazing too. And my, my kids and, you know, they provide incredible drive and, 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 uh, you know, purpose to, to be like, Hey, we can, we can, we can make this happen. But, um, but there were, there were times when I said, man, it would be way easy to just walk away right now. Mm-hmm. It would be so much easier to just go get a job and make 200 K being a top salesman at some other company. Cause I could do that anywhere would, without even blinking an eye. Um, and, um, uh, but, but I'm grateful that I've, that, you know, I've, I've had to dig deep and figure out how to, how to stick it out and gotten to where we are now. Well, one thing about uh, which I, I didn't have the chance to ask, but basically what I love about the story and you mapped it out so, so, uh, so nicely, right? From like version one to version three, I would have asked all those questions. You did it for me, which was awesome, um, is, is iterations, right? And you hear that like that's so important to a company's growth story like you guys were completely different when you first said treasure hunt i'm like what like that that is not where i thought you're gonna start this this conversation at all sure nor did it come up in most of the the research like obviously it was around ar and the second thing is like it's crazy how sometimes the weirdest thing will give you the light bulb moment you know like you talk about pokemon go how many people opened the pokemon go app you talk about like it was a billion dollar plus you know market value but like you how many people opened it and we're like, all right, cool. I play the game. You know, I become a nerd about it, but that's it. You took it a step further and you kind of used that. And you're like, hold on a second. I'm building something here. I see this really cool thing, two completely different worlds. How can I leverage this technology into this? And then this iterates and becomes focused on Fortune 500 companies. There's so many weird moments in that. Like none of that, I, I'm assuming, was planned. No, not at all. No, we, the, the, the place we are today was not even conceived at that time. Um, it was, in fact, it was funny. We went to a VC, a local VC here in Utah, and we had Treasure Canyon running and, and we, you know, we'd run our first 10 events and we said, okay, we want to, we want to grow this and we want to go and build these other things. So we sat down with them and we said, we want $50,000 and we'll give you 20% of the company. Right. So we're asking, you know, 50 grand for 20%. So $250,000 valuation. They said, no, 
And I was like, okay, whatever, that's fine. Let's go do this. And we figured out other ways to make our thing happen. And then about two years later, I was sitting in that same room and they were offering me $2 million for 20% of the company. Wow. Now we're at a 10 million, we're 40 times bigger now at that point. And uh, we ended up saying no to the deal because we thought we were worth more than that. But um, anyway, we, uh, we, we ended up finding other ways to, to fund the company. But, but, but those no's oftentimes get you to the places where you're trying to get to, but you didn't even know you were trying to get there, right? Um, so, and, and that's, that's part of the, that iteration journey that's really uh, almost impossible to predict. But, but is what makes it really fun to look back on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like finding value in the nose, right? So many entrepreneurs uh, talk about that, dude, how, how important it is not just to hear that they told you no, but more importantly, like what are the, what are the things that they seem to have missing? You right. know, because that, that's sometimes like if you look at the early days of Airbnb, Uber, everybody probably told them no. Right? Yeah, it's, cool. it's a crazy idea. Why would you get in a car with a random stranger? You know, why would you sur- couch surf on someone's couch in their living room? Like, and make that scalable. How, how the heck can that be scalable, right? Yeah, uh, so. Right, but, but if, if, you, if you actually listen to the no's, they might be telling you something that they're not seeing that actually gives you more impetus to build and to continue building what you're trying to do. Totally. Absolutely. Every no is a learning opportunity, right? I mean, every time you fail, you've, you've only learned how not to do something, right? You've just learned another way not to do. Oh, hey, it's not going to work that way, right? I mean, it's like, when, when, when the doctors that were trying to build a new heart valve or build the bypass machine, right? I mean, they probably tried to, they probably didn't just do it. They probably failed 120 other times or maybe a thousand times. And finally they got to it, right? But, but you just learn every time you run into something, okay, hey, we lost that client. Okay, great. So I can, I can go, you know, man, we've, we, we just lost a hundred grand a year. Or I can be like, okay, and what I, what I beg the clients that we lose to do, I just beg them. I was like, please, I will, I will pay. I'll give you an Amazon gift card. Get me on the phone with you and tell me what we did wrong mm. so that we can learn and we can never do that again. And sometimes that brings the client back, right? Which is cool. That's not the purpose, the reason I do it. But the real reason is I don't want that to happen again. I want to learn, want to learn from what it. I did wrong so that we build a better product. And I'm, I'm certain they're usually very open to that, right? Like everybody wants to vent for whatever reason. Sometimes it's worthy. Sometimes it's just on their end. Sometimes things are going wrong. I don't know about you because you talked about like, a, I'm assuming you're like, you're, you have that sales DNA at heart because you mentioned like the sales role if you weren't doing yeah. what you're doing. Uh, but one of the cool things about that too is a lot of the times, kind of like in consulting, when you get on the phone with them and you actually talk about what's bothering them, it has more to do with the, with their internal process and less to do about the product. Not always. Sometimes the product is at fault, the company, totally. the service, surely. But mm-hmm. it kind of like it opens up the, the Pandora's box of where the gaps are internally that they're also maybe defensive about, you know, right. or don't want to change. So I find yeah. that sometimes interesting, right? And, you know, it's a sensitive thing. Like you can't just be like, well, your process is screwed up. So deal with it. But like, you got to figure that out. You know, no, I know there's, there's one big company that we lost that I still don't know why. And it just bugs me. I just want to get on the phone with them and they just wouldn't tell me at all. And anyway, I mean, they, they completely scrapped their entire, it's not like they went with a competitor or something or tried to do it on their own. They just scrapped everything and I can't figure out why, but anyway, um, but yeah, it's the, the constantly learning from those failures is, is, is the only way to go about, go about doing things. My, uh, my brother-in-law, um, he just sold his company for the huge amount of money. Um, amazing, amazing guy. Um, but he's, 
also amazing at ping pong. And I love playing him. I'll beat him one out of 10 times. Like, and, and maybe that's generous to me. Um, he's very, very good. And he's really fun to play. But the cool thing is when I play anybody else, I dominate them. Right. Because I'm constantly playing somebody that's constant, that's making me improve every single time. Okay. I missed that shot. Why did I miss it? All right, let's try that again. Oh man, I missed it again until I get it, you know? And, and then, you know, when I'm playing other people, it's, I switched to my left hand and, you know, princess, the whole princess bride. Oh, you don't know I'm right-handed, you know? So um, anyway, it's that, that challenging yourself and failure and people, there's so many people that view that as, as a bad thing. And it's just not, it's the only way to learn and improve is to fail. Yeah, dude, I I love that. Well, it's like Michael Jordan, right? I mean, for every great player, uh, you always need someone like him as an, and he Mm -hmm. always would need, like, if he just played against himself, you would, nobody would be talking about MJ, you know, he he needed the Pistons. He needed like the Phoenix Suns, the Utahs of the world, right? Like Moses, he needed those kinds of players to play against, right? To reach that or escalate to that level. Um, so interesting. I wanted to ask you something, John, about, well, you talked about what, like what's next for, at the time you were answering that. What, when, when I look at AR and VR as an example, and it's going to be a two segue question, let's focus on the first one. That's right. Yeah. The, the first one, at least as I understand, like the applications now fundamentally are diving more into training, right? Like you see that in, let's say engineers use it for um, construction or railways or whatever. Um, doctors can use that. Dentists can use that to do practice and training. So you're starting to see real application. This is no longer just like a, a fluffy kind of thing. That's yeah. yeah, Pokemon go. What, what do you think is next for either AR or VR? You can comment on both or one. So I experienced something a couple weeks ago that is still relatively um, under wraps, but but I, I just got permission to post on on LinkedIn about it a couple of days ago. So I think I'm okay to talk about it. But mm-hmm. um, did, you, did you ever experience the void? You ever have a chance to go to one of those places? They, they, they didn't get everywhere, but it was a company that started here in Utah and got bought by Disney just a couple of years ago. But But basically you'd put on a a back, like a full on computer base. It's a backpack and like a whole vest and whatever, and put on VR goggles and you go into a room. And so the, 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 the room and the warehouse is all set up exactly the same so that it matches up to the experience you're having in the, in the goggles themselves. And so you would be, you know, you go in and you'd be in a star Wars thing and you're a stormtrooper or you're a Jedi or you're fighting ghostbusters or you're whatever. So wow, unbelievable. It's, they had them at downtown Disney and other places like that. And um, the founder of that started another company called Jump that that is that he kind of just came out of stealth mode with and and basically the the initial premise here is is base jumping in VR right so you're you're literally you put on VR you put on a wingsuit and you walk up to an edge and in in the VR headset you know you look over to your right and there's this this you know Red Bull guy and he's telling you all right here's what we're gonna do we're gonna go and we're gonna jump off this cliff you're just gonna dive straight down just hold open and as soon as you get to the bottom just lift up a little bit and you know anyway and then you, and then he jumps and you have to follow him and it it is so scary like i've gone skydiving before i've done those things in real life i've been bungee jumping all that and it was just as scary to jump off this thing in vr how does um, that work like are you actually so you're yeah you're you're suspended with cables and stuff that are connected to everything and then there's a fan that blows air at you and it's crazy it's awesome i can send you a video later it's really cool um but it but, but basically you jump off and and you're flying and if you turn this way you turn and you're controlling it right i mean you're actually 
base jumping kind of with the, the squirrel suit thing where you have control and you can go way up next to the mountains. And, you know, if you're not careful, yeah, you're going to smack into them and someone smacks you with a board. No, um, <laughs> but no, you, you, you kind of feel yeah, you, you, you die right in, in VR and then you, you have to start over, but, um, but it's really cool. But, but what that is leading to the next thing that leads to is, Hey, let's play Fortnite in VR. Cause now we can jump out of the bus you can fly down. And now you just have to put an omnidirectional, um, uh, what do you call it? Treadmill there. And, and then, you know, put something in your hand for a gun and you can run around and you can actually jump and play Fortnite and fly and land and all these things. And, um, and so I think, I think that's kind of the next thing in VR is you're going to be able to get experiences that are so immersive that, that they're going to, uh, they're going to really start becoming attractive. Right. For a long time, VR has been just kind of like, yeah, it's cool, but I, I don't want to spend a lot of time in there. But you get to the ready player one type level where, you know, Oasis and people were in there all the time. I don't think it's going to quite get to that level where everyone just spends all day in VR. But I think the experiences are starting to get to the point where they're just really, really exciting. Um, on AR, on the AR side, um, I think the next big quantum leap that we're going to make is going to be glasses. AR glasses are going to change everything. And, I, and, and in the same way that Apple did it with, with the watch, they're going to get everybody to wear glasses too. Um, and, uh, and I know you're wearing glasses and I used to wear glasses and I'm going to start wearing them again, but they're going to have a little computer in there and they might initially be connected via tether to your phone to power them, but eventually they'll be small enough. So you just wear them and they're going to help you do everything right and you're going to be able to just like throw up a tv anywhere right hey you need a couple screens here great just throw up throw up throw up right now you can just sit here you can work and you have access to everything you've got the office playing in the background every year you've got whatever you know and you can control everything you can have this kind of limitless workspace um when you're out traveling you can just look at something and it'll just give you information you can ask it to hey what is that thing and it can scan something and tell you and um very futuristic very minority report-ish um, you know, but, but definitely, definitely kind of, kind of the future. I mean, we have, we have a little bit of iteration to get to that full vision, but, um, but that's kind of going to be the next, the next phase right now, what we're working on at seek is just to, to help augmented reality be, be everywhere. I mean, virtually every company should have some sort of augmented reality experience associated with it. Have you ever watched the, 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 the black mirror episode? Well, first of all, have you ever seen black mirror at all? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Have you ever seen the episode of the VR where there's a, maybe a couple, but the one I'm specifically talking about is that hitchhiker that runs into this like Asian company. They're doing this test trial. They, yeah. And then, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember like biggest that. fears, et cetera, but it's so immersive that I guess he eventually dies in, in it. And the thing was only there for like nanoseconds you yeah. know, or something. Yeah. But it was, it was so trippy, dude. And I, like, it actually scared me, you yeah. know, but do you ever think that, similar to AI as an example, where you have so many different opinions uh, and, and people on different ends of the spectrum, or does, does it worry you that maybe the latency gets so fast that you start, like, like you, you stop knowing what's real or what's not kind of thing? Yes. And every technology can be used for good or bad, mm -hmm. right? The pornography industry is a perfect example of that, right? And, and every new technology, Pornography usually jumps on pretty early because it's going to help them grow their their big business. And it, whatever the listeners' opinions are of that, mine is that I don't I don't really agree with it. And so, um, 
the internet can be used for good. The internet can be used for bad. Um, VR can be used for good. VR can be used for bad. AI can be used for good. AI can be used for bad. And so, um, you know, we have to, as a society, um, you know, try to put the right limits and protections and, 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 you know, controls in place that don't let those things go too far. Or if they do make sure that, you know, you have the, the, the right, you know, consent and places to, to make sure you don't go too far. But, but even when you talk about something good, right, let's talk about VR at the point where, where you, you know you're not seeing anything bad you're maybe you're in the middle of a disney movie right and it's just awesome and but it's so real and it's like you're there that you just literally don't want to leave i remember hearing stories when avatar came out of mm-hmm. people committing suicide because our really? world wasn't as good as pandora like they just loved the movie so much and they were so it was the first big 3d movie if you remember that yeah. it was like big time and so they felt so immersed in it that when they left it, all they wanted to do was go back and watch the movie again. And, and, and they, you know, I'm sure it wasn't a ton of people, but that, that happened. And, and is that going to happen to an even worse level? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to, it's going to happen. And so you're going to have some people that do try to try to live their lives in VR. I mean, if you've seen ready player one, you see what that looks like as a society, if a, a huge number of the a huge percentage of the population is, um, is spending a significant amount of time, if not all of their waking hours inside of, you know, an alternate world, the, the Oasis. Right. Um, I think some of that is, is absolutely real. And there's a lot of money to be made there, right? If you can get something that's that good, that's that addicting, that's that, um, inviting and enticing to bring people in, um, yeah, there's going to be some, some serious, serious industries around that, around that thing. And, and part of what I experienced, you know, a couple of weekends ago with this VR thing, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome is, uh, it, that that's, that's the end game for these companies is they're trying to build the physical systems that lets you move around freely in virtually any kind of space. So it's coming, it's coming there for sure. Exciting, man. Dude, I, I, I'm just curious to see how much of what Black Mirror has said comes true. Yeah. yeah, I hope not a lot of because a lot of it is dark on for like they take it to the one. They, they take like the worst case scenario, worst case and scenario. that makes good TV shows. But yeah. obviously, yeah, you know, and you get Miley <laughs> Cyrus, and then you get ahead, dude. But there, yeah, um, there you go. Uh, but before we wrap, I did want to ask, and there's a lot, a lot of great things here that that we talked about. But um, curious because you like you you've worked at different companies and you jumped into entrepreneurship, I think, a bit later in the game, um, and you know you have faith on one side, both as an entrepreneur, but also, um, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a Christian individual who's also preaching the message, like you're a proactive Christian, I would say, mm-hmm. and an active uh, member of, of the community. So just curious, like with everything that you've learned so far, what advice, if someone is, let's say, 20s to 30s, thinking of starting something just like you did at that point, what advice would you give them knowing what you know now? So some of the best advice I got in college, and the reason I took the pathway I did um, I took entrepreneurship lecture series and different things and met a lot of really successful founders in the area. Um, they said, go work for a company. Don't leave college and go start a company, hmm. right? They said, go work for a company, even if it's just for a year, just go and see how it works. See the types of things that you like, see the things that you don't like, what would you do different? Right. And then if you want to start a company, go do it. Right. But, um, but a lot of people jump in like right out of college or they skip college and they go straight to it. And, and, and that's great. Some succeed. And there's a lot of really smart people out there. But you look at the statistics, most people don't. And I think part of the reason is because they don't know what they're getting into, right? I mean, taking the time to have a business minor, to take a few finance classes, to take just little things like that, and then to see it in a real company where it's successful, it's working, 
um, is very, very helpful. Um, so I would, I would um, put a plug in for education and not for, there's a lot of things wrong with higher education. We can go into that um, if we want, but, but the practical side of things at least, right? Go learn the things that you're going to need to know. Learn how to do a spreadsheet. Learn how to run a basic pro form. It's not hard to learn how to put a few columns together in Excel and see how the numbers add up, right? Before you go and invest a bunch of things. And then I was part of a um, of a startup uh, kind of, it's called Startup Ignition. And it's just kind of an accelerator type boot camp thing almost for startups. And, and it's taught by some really, really cool people. Um, one of who, whom is an investor in my company now. Um, uh, by a guy by the name of John Richards. You can look up Startup Ignition. He, he does these online things now, and but but I took him in person. And he basically just said, look, you, you have to nail it, then scale it. And his entire thing is around validating the business idea before you go invest a bunch of money, right? Um, and it doesn't mean you can't invest no money, right? If you want to start a new product company and you want to sell it on Instagram and run ads and do that, great. You could put up a few thousand dollars and go build a product and see if people like it, see if people will buy it. But don't go order a thousand units, right? right? Order five and sell those five. And then if you get, you know, over tons of demand and, and you don't have enough, okay, fine. Take pre-orders and get the next batch started, right? There are ways to start companies and especially tech companies that cost millions of dollars to create, right? You have this idea for this platform that serves project management and all this stuff. Go and talk to your prospective customers first and say, hey, if I've looked at the project management space, these are the problems that I saw. Um, and that's, by the way, another reason to go work for a company is lots of times when you go work for a company, you see some process that you're like, that is inefficient. I have an idea. And so that's how a lot of these things come. But then go talk to your prospective customers and say, hey, I saw these problems. Do you see those problems? If I were to start a company and create a product that could solve those problems, would you buy it? Great. What would you pay for it? What's it worth to you, right? Doing a lot of that research, say, I, I can't tell you the percentage of startup ignition companies that don't fail because they validated their ideas before they went too far down the line. Um, and you know what? This applies to most situations. I know occasionally there's going to be some crazy idea where it's just like you have to jump on it and run. And But that's risky, man. That's, that's risky business. Um you want to you want to take the time to validate that thing, get the right questions answered, and then and then jump in. Um, I, I felt like when I started as CEO, yes, I had. I mean, I I can write a book about all the things I didn't know, and I plan on that. <laughs> but um, but I knew enough to to not make really dumb mistakes. And even then, even though I felt like I kind of knew some things, I've run out of money twenty times. And I ran out of money completely one time, right? I had to fire 25 people, right? And, and so even, even when you think you know what you're doing, um, it's, it's tough. But if I could give one piece of advice is um, if, you, if you stay in a market long enough and you're willing to iterate, you're willing to listen to the market and change your product based on what you hear, you'll be successful. It's almost impossible not to be successful because you will learn what the problems are. And you'll create solutions for those problems and people will buy them if they're real problems, right? But if you can just stay alive long enough, and that's kind of what I, I told myself, I was like, look, the, the, the kind of the number that, that I've heard out there is five years. If you can stay alive for five years, 
you will by that time have found enough problems and gotten enough customers that you have a viable business. And, and that's where we are today. If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. I'll see you next time.